Psalm 74, we're going to read one verse, and really as I read this verse, it's one of those verses that I've read many times in my life as I've read through the scriptures, but probably less than a year ago, this verse really took on a new meaning, and it took on a new meaning based upon my life experiences, things that I've seen, and I want to share that with you this morning. Psalm 74 and verse number 20, the scripture says, have respect unto the covenant for the dark places of the earth are full of the habitations of cruelty. Notice the end of that verse again. The dark places of the earth are full of the habitations of cruelty. Now I want to pause here just for a second because based on your life experiences, you're going to see this verse maybe in a different light than I have. But I want you to understand that in a place where there's an absence of light, and I'm talking about spiritual light, I'm not talking about that golden globe that the lanes aren't used to seeing in the sky out there that we call sunshine. They're from the Seattle area. They haven't seen the sun since October. So when, we, when we're talking about that, yes, that's a wonderful light and we enjoy that, but this verse is talking about where there's an absence of spiritual light. In other words, the habit are in the dark places of the earth, is full of the habitations of cruelty. Now that last phrase of that verse, habitations of cruelty, is what really should sink deep into our heart as we think about the folks that we know that are without the Lord and the lives that they're living and the crisis that they are going through. How many of you have been caught watching the news and you're like, how in the world could somebody do something like that? I mean, here in the state of Tennessee, we just the last couple of weeks, we've been under an amber alert for that missing young lady. And from what I understand, there was some, uh, I don't know what happened to that young lady, but they've arrested family members. And in my mind, I go, how is that possible? But this is what I come back to as I read through the scriptures. I cannot be surprised when a lost person acts like a lost person. What really should bother me and frustrate me is when a saved person acts like a lost person. Amen. Amen? So when I look at the world and I see the news and I hear of the stories of the things that are going on that I consider to be cruel and unusual, I must be reminded of what the scripture is saying in verses like this one, that in the dark places of the earth are full of the habitations of cruelty. Things are going to happen that should not happen when the gospel has been presented and when or the light of the gospel has permeated our society and folks have gotten saved. Several years ago, my wife and I uh, visited Venezuela, South America for the first time. I had surrendered to, to missions when I was in Bible college. God had put the specific call of being a missionary pilot and church planner on my heart. Uh, I had been to aviation school after Bible college. I'd been to mechanic school. I have all my ratings. I could fly commercially now if I wanted to. Um, that's not what God wants me to do. I fly high all the time, and it's, it's in the ministry, amen. But when I, the first time Chris and I were able to go to the, to the jungles of South America, man, how many of you have ever been in what they consider to be a third world country? Yeah, a lot of you have. I, have you, did you realize when you got to the third world company or, or country that your, your senses were awakened? I mean, senses that you've used your entire life, suddenly you realized you had those senses. Uh, the smells. Anybody remember a smell when you went to a different country? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, sometimes you can taste the air. Uh, you, you sense things that are going around, on around you that you've never experienced before. When Chris and I went into the jungle for the first time, I'll never forget it because we, we flew in this small Cessna 185 
And uh, we landed on this uh, jungle airstrip, and I use that term very loosely because it, an airstrip in the jungle is not like landing out here at Tri-Cities. I've landed at Elizabethan over there before. It's a small runway, but it's not nearly as small as some of the ones that we saw in South America. The grass was about that tall. Uh, the, it was a hill, a slope, all the way up to the runway, 200 feet trees, 200 foot tall trees at the end of the runway. I mean, there was a lot of things that when you got out of the plane, you went, whew, I survived it, so now I can enjoy it, amen? And then, then the Indians began to funnel out of the jungle to greet us there, and I remember standing there, and I had my arm on the wing of the plane, and we actually have a picture of it, so it reminds me of it from time to time, and the tallest Indian in the village was about right here, and I never thought of myself as being tall, you know, and I just never have, but that day I felt ginormous. I mean, I feel like a giraffe, I mean, to be honest with you out there. And, uh, but we were meeting them, and to hear the language that I never heard before, the smells along the edges of the river and the glistening of the gold, uh, the fool's gold in the sands along the riverbanks, and to ride in a canoe that was 40 feet long, and it was a dugout log that had been burned and sealed and had an outboard motor on it, 40 foot long canoe. I mean, all of these things, my senses were going crazy. But then we arrived in the village and we met the missionaries that we were to be working with in the coming years and they had been there about six months and so we're sitting in this mud hut with a thatch roof over us and, and uh, we were sitting there with the oil lamps burning because there was no electricity. Obviously we were in the jungle and we were sitting there in the evening and I could hear the distinct sound of, of music. It wasn't instruments being played, it was folks singing. And I did not understand the language, but I knew the tune. And I asked Brother Clint Vernoy, the missionary that we were with, I said, Brother Clint, I said, what's going on tonight? And he said, well, uh, some of our church folks that have recently been saved, uh, and the church had just been started, he said, they're huddled over around the fire in the house across the way, and they're singing tonight. And, you know, I was thinking if there's church, probably the missionary should be there, Amen. But uh, he said, no, no, that's not what it is. I said, well, what, what are they singing about? And he said, well, before you arrived this morning, he said, one of the prominent men in the village at the age of 42 died suddenly. There's no explanation. It wasn't a snake bite or an animal attack or a fever. He just died at the age of 42. He said, and they've been taught for generations through the traditions and the spirit worship and everything that they've been taught. He said, they've been taught that when someone dies mysteriously that way, that that night the death angel will come to require his spirit. And when the death angel comes, he will also take someone else with him into eternity. He said, so in all the faith that they can muster, they're sitting over there singing the only Christian songs that they know, praying to the God that they've recently been introduced to, that he will protect them from the death angel that is supposed to come tonight. Now when I thought of that, you know, it was some time before I saw this verse again, but when I, when I read this verse now with that thought and that story in my mind, I think I have more thoughts about those habitations of cruelty, those folks that are dwelling in darkness. Now, it's interesting, that particular tribe had two stories that you're familiar with in their traditions. They had the story that Wanadi, which is their word for God, and it would be the same God that you and I worship, the Creator, the, the father of all things. They believed that Winati had a son and that Winati's son had died 
that Winati had raised him from the dead, but they did not know Winati's son's name. They didn't know why he had died. They did not know why Winati had raised him from the dead. So that's how close they were to the truth. They also had the, the story and the tradition that eight Indians had survived a worldwide flood in a canoe. Does that sound familiar? You say, how did they have that? They didn't have the Bible in their languages. It was, it was stories that were, you go back to Romans chapter number one with those stories in your mind and it'll help you to realize that God's making a way in the hearts of men to recognize the creator and to know the God of heaven. And, and when we came in, it was like, hey, we know who Winati's son was. His name's Jesus. Or as they would say, Jesucristo. We know that he died because we've all sinned against him. We were able to introduce that to them. He was raised from the dead because God wanted us to know that the payment that Christ made on the cross was sufficient to pay for our sins. All of those things we were able to introduce to them and they began to get saved. Uh, the village of about 600, we had 400 that were baptized in attending church in the first five years. I mean, it was an amazing time there. But when we first got there, it was the, the glimpses of that dark shroud that had been around them and the gospel began to penetrate and punch holes in the darkness around their heart and the gospel began to penetrate and began to change their lives. Five years later, we were going to a new village that we had never been to before. We had never been able to get permission to go. Chahudanya had continued to grow. I told you the church had grown to some 400 the, the culture of the village was changing because of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. That night that we got there, that we arrived, uh, those folks were in a house with windows that were about this wide with shutters over the windows. And they had small windows because they didn't want the evil spirits to see in at night. They wanted to be hidden from them. But after five years of being taught biblical truths, they were building new houses. On the new houses, there were no shutters and the windows were what we would call bay windows. Why? Because they had been taught that you don't have to fear the death angel because uh, when, the Lord, when the Lord saves you, he keeps you and you're going to live with him for all of eternity. They didn't have to fear him anymore. But we went to this new village of Wasaranya, and Wasaranya had positioned itself as a village away from the rest of the Makadatari tribe. And they didn't want any outside influence, they didn't want any missionaries, they didn't want anybody there. It was interesting, they had built an airstrip, so obviously they wanted an airplane from time to time for emergency purposes, but they wouldn't allow us to come in. When on 9-11-2001, everybody knows where you were that day one of those dates that sticks in your mind forever. I was in the village of Chahudanya in Venezuela. We had just finished a medical clinic that uh, was also evangelistic where folks had come in from several surrounding villages, several doctors had come down from the states. And in that particular medical clinic, there was a, a young infant that was there that was not from Chahudanya. We didn't know where the baby was from. As a matter of fact, the doctor who was visiting from Chicago saved that young baby's life while they were there, and then that baby and its family just disappeared into the jungle. We never saw them again. Well, a year and a half later, this would have been 2003, we got a radio call from this particular village, Wasaranya. The chief of the village said, um, that was my baby whose life was saved a year and a half ago in Chahudanya. We want the doctors to come to our village. They didn't understand that the doctors were in the United States. They thought maybe they were just across down around the bend of the river. 
I mean, they're thinking from an Indian's perspective. We said, but we'll bring the doctors if you'll allow us to come and give uh, the message that God has sent us here to give. And we flew into that village on that particular day, and I'll never forget it because once again I was reminded of the, how dark a place can be. I remember landing. You say, why do you remember landing? On this particular runway, I was flying, and the runway went around the curve at the base of the mountain. You folks know what that means. You have roads around the curve of every base of every mountain around here. But imagine uh, going out to one of these roads that goes around the foot of the mountain. It was a gravel, and you actually had to come in for a landing, and the mountain was right here, and you had to touch down on one wheel and keep the other wing up in the air and the wheel off the ground until you got around the base of the mountain and set the other tire down. Uh, it was one of the greatest experiences you could ever live through. <laughs> until you had lived through it, it was exhilarating, to say the least. But when we got out of the plane... I walked into a village and immediately felt the weight of the air. You say, what do you mean by that? You know, I, I find it, when I talk to some of the guys that served in Vietnam, they know exactly what I'm talking about. They went into some of those jungle villages and they felt the weight. They knew something was different. They knew evil was present. That's exactly what it felt like as we walked into this village. It was a village that the gospel had never been presented before. As a matter of fact, when you looked into the eyes of these villagers, there was no distinction between the pupil and the color around their eye. It was all black. You say, why is that significant? When you've never seen it before, it stands out to you. And I remembered it happening before when we had first gone to Chahudanya five years earlier. But you know what I'd noticed is God began to penetrate the darkness of the souls of those in Chahudanya. The light that had penetrated their heart was beginning to show through their eyes and they were beginning to develop color in their eyes. When I read this verse, I'm reminded of those dark places that I visited. But then I must come back to the United States and realize there is still some darkness in our world here. If I were to take a pencil and on a map draw a circle, a radius, a five-mile radius around Bible Baptist Church in Kingsport, Tennessee, I would say you'd probably count some, a few thousand homes within five miles of this particular church. You say, how do you know that? Well, go on Google Earth and start counting rooftops, and it's amazing how quickly they add up. But let me tell you something about that circle. Inside of that circle last night, there were children they were hiding from a father who came home in a, a spirit that they didn't know what to expect. Inside of that circle around Bible Baptist Church in Kingsport, Tennessee, with all of its steeples in this town, there's abuse that's going on within that circle. There's cruelty that's going on within that circle. There's drug abuse that's going on within that circle. And this morning, as we think about this missions conference and this week going forward, I don't believe we'll ever grasp what God is trying to do across the globe until we grasp what God is trying to do with us right here. I say to you, my friend, God wants us to punch holes in the darkness of those people who are just getting through life the best that they can 
But they're living in a life without truth. They're living in a life without the Lord. And they need us to determine in our heart that we're going to do all that we can to reach them. Go with me, if you would, to Romans chapter number 10. This is kind of a somber message, but it's only somber in the fact that we need to remember, what are we here for? You realize God has a purpose in us? Uh, do you realize that He wants to work through us? You realize that if He just wanted you saved the day you got saved, He would have just ushered you right out of here. You would have been on the chariot, amen, and out of here. But God left you here. Have you ever thought about why He leaves you here? He's left us here to be His spokesman. We don't have to do all the work. We can't save them. But I tell you what, we can get involved punching holes in some darkness and going around to places where these folks live. You realize they're the folks that sit in the cubicle next to you or the workstation next to you? They're the ones that are at Walmart. Uh, if your Walmart still has cashiers, they're the cashiers that are in there. They're the stalker, uh, stalkers, not stalkers, stalkers in the grocery stores. They're the ones that are the gas station attendants. They're the ones that are doing the car washes in the neighborhood. They're the ones on the team that you, you play with at the school. My friend, they're all around us. They're folks that are walking around in darkness, and they're dependent upon us. Look at Romans chapter number 10. All of us love this verse in verse number 13. It says, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be what? Saved. How many of you here would say, Brother Brian, I'm a whosoever. I've trusted Christ as my Lord and Savior. And how many of you are glad that anybody or whosoever can be saved? I say amen to that. But consider what it says in verse number 14. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a what? Preacher. Now this is where most Christians go, man, I'm glad that last word is in that verse. Because I am off the hook. I am not a preacher. You know what that, that word, I'm not trying to correct the Bible, but you know what that word is actually saying? It's just simply saying proclaimer. It's not saying an ordination certificate hanging on the wall. It's saying someone who has been a recipient of the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ is now the person who can, who can go, the person who can send, uh, uh, the person who can go out there and blast holes in the darkness. Several years ago, I was riding up the road and, in Michigan, I was an assistant pastor and I was headed on an errand for the church and I don't have time to tell the whole story, but things weren't going well and I was battling my spirit because it wasn't working out the way I wanted it to work out. Anybody here ever experienced that? Maybe this morning on the way to church? Yeah, okay. Well, as I'm going down the road and I'm driving this old Dodge church van that makes anybody pray and walk with the Lord because it wanders. Those old Dodge vans we traveled in were that way. You move it like that just to keep it in your lane. Amen. There's a lot of, a lot of slop in the steering. And I'm driving down the road trying to, trying to keep in the right spirit. And I blast past this young man walking up the side of the road. And the Lord immediately said, are you going to pick him up? Well, I don't know about you, but I don't argue that point. I just made a U-turn and went back. And as I pulled over, and thank God the window worked on the other side of this old van. But uh, I put the window down, and, and I said, hey, where are you heading? He said, Alpena, Michigan. I said, well, I'm going to Pinconning. Anybody here know where Pinconning, Michigan is? Bless your heart, I didn't think so. I, yeah, Google doesn't even know where it is. But anyway, he said, I said, I can take you to Pinconning, but I can't take you to Alpena. It's three hours. He said, okay, so he gets in, he, 
I notice he throws a rucksack in. Then I begin to notice his hair is high and tight. I say, you in the service? He said, yes, sir. I said, where are you coming from? He said, Fort Drum, New York. I said, okay. I said, and you're going to Alpena? Why? And he said, uh, I mean, if you've ever been to Alpena, you'll know why I ask why. There's nothing up there. He said, I'm going to visit my kids because next week I deploy to Iraq. I said, what's your MOS? Which means what's your job in the military? And he said, I'm EOD, which means Explosive Ordnance Disposal. The guys that go in and clear the way for the troops, they clear all the ordnance out of the way. I said, son, that's a dangerous job. And he said, yeah. I said, and you're leaving next week? He said, yeah. I said, do you mind if, I, you mind if I'm just straightforward with you for a moment? And he said, no. I said, um, are you ready for eternity? He said, that's kind of a cold thing to say. No, it was obvious to me at that moment that God had me there at that moment for that young man. And I said, um, are you ready for eternity? And he dropped his head. And he said, no, sir. I said, can I take just a moment? My Bible was right there on the center console. I said, you mind if I take my Bible as we're driving up the road and I show you how you can know for sure you're going to heaven? He said, I wish you would. For the next 15 minutes driving up to Pinconning, Michigan, I was able to show that young man how that he could know Christ as his Lord and Savior and not fear eternity. And he trusted Christ as his Lord and Savior. You know what that is? That's punching holes in darkness. That's reaching out to someone, not just because I, I I'm appreciate his service and I have fear for what he might face on the battlefield, but it's more than that. It's realizing that every person that we meet has a soul, and that soul is going to spend eternity in heaven, or it's going to spend eternity in hell, and we don't like to think about that. It's not a pleasant thought, but every single person you meet, even if it's in the Hardy's drive-thru, or it's in McDonald's, or it's at Pals is a new one I was introduced to this weekend, or wherever you may be going, the restaurant you might be sitting in this afternoon, realizing that the waitress or the waiter, you don't know their home life, you don't know where they're coming from, you don't know if they're a single mom or a single dad, you don't know if their parents are in jail, you don't know if they're uh, facing addiction or their loved ones are facing addiction, you don't know where they're coming from, you don't know if they've ever been to church, you don't know if they even know who Jesus really is. But God has left you and I here in this circle so that we can make sure that everyone that is hidden in darkness has a chance to see the light of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. This week, I don't believe that we can do all that God wants to do in our hearts unless we realize that it's not just about giving to missions, it's about being in missions. And that's the thought I want you to take home with you today. Am I a part of God's plan? And am I doing my part? Not just subbing it out to others who are going abroad, but realizing that God has me here to do my part and then to be involved in what's going on abroad. This morning, I want to ask you this one question. Are you a hole puncher? I know when you say that, you think of that little old hole puncher he had when we were kids. No, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about blasting holes in the darkness. I met a young man several years ago. He said he, he got to Kuwait, 
when he was deployed and he was given a grenade launcher and they said we we were practicing and his commanding officer said I want you to take out that floor of that building and he just casually started pulling the trigger and throwing launching the grenades over and finally his CO said no 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 let me show you how to do it and he leveled the building that's what I want to do I want to think about that boom 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 I want to unload all that I have on the darkness so that the shrouds you remember how he used to sing that song hide it under a bushel no I'm gonna let it shine how about knocking all the bushels off and dispelling the darkness and punching holes in the darkness and letting our light so shine that everywhere we go, people will say, like the villages there in Chahud, around Chahudanya when they would come in, they go, why is it so bright here? We didn't have more sun, we just had the sun. Let him shine and let God do something through you. Let's bow our head and close our eyes. Lord, I come to you this morning. My heart's desire is that you would work in our hearts. Lord, I, I love missions. I love missionaries. I love churches. Lord, I love you. But Lord, we need your mind. We need your heart. We need your perspective. Lord, oftentimes we have tunnel vision where, Lord, you're seeing the whole, the whole of this world at one time. Lord, I pray that you will help us to zoom out just a little bit and see things from your perspective. And then zoom back in and get busy doing what you left us here to do. Lord, I love you and I pray that you would continue to speak to hearts in Christ's name.